Okay, good evening and welcome to the February 28, 2024 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. President Lopez will be the presiding officer tonight and he is joined by Vice President Alex Lemberg, Commissioner Rick Swig, Commissioner John Trezvina, and Commissioner J.R. Epler. Also present is Deputy City Attorney Jen Huber, who will provide the board with any needed legal advice. At the controls is the board's legal assistant, Alec Longway, and I'm Julie Rosenberg, the board's executive director. We will also be joined by representatives from the city departments that will be presenting before the board this evening. Corey Teague, the zoning administrator representing the planning department. Matthew Green, deputy director of inspection services for the department of building inspection. And James Zahn, housing coordinating coordinator manager for department of building inspection. Now the board meeting guidelines are as follows. The board requests that you turn off or silence all phones and other electronic devices so they will not disturb the proceedings. No eating or drinking in the hearing room. The rules of presentation are as follows. Appellants, permit holders, and department respondents each are given seven minutes to present their case and three minutes for rebuttal. People affiliated with these parties must include their comments within these seven or three minute periods. Members of the public who are not affiliated with the parties have up to three minutes each to address the board and no rebuttal. Mr. Longway, our legal assistant, will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Four votes are required to grant an appeal or to modify a permit or determination. If you have questions about requesting a rehearing, the board rules or hearing schedules, please email board staff at boardofappeals at sfgov.org. Now, public access and participation are of paramount importance to the board. SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will have the ability to receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. SFGov TV is also providing closed captioning for this meeting. To watch the hearing on TV, go to SFGov TV, cable channel 78. Please note that it will be rebroadcast on Fridays at 4 p.m. on channel 26. A link to the live stream is found on the homepage of our website at sfgov.org forward slash BOA. Now, public comment can be provided in three ways. One, in person. Two, via Zoom. Go to our website and click on the Zoom link, which is found in the hearing section. Please note, um, okay, three, uh, public comment can be provided by telephone. Call 1-669-900-6833 and enter webinar ID 874-1786-7575. And again, SFGovTV is broadcasting and streaming the phone number and access instructions across the bottom of the screen if you're watching the live stream or broadcast. To block your phone number when calling in, first off, star 67, then the phone number. Listen for the public comment portion for your item to be called and dial star nine, which is equivalent of raising your hand so that we know you want to speak. You will be brought into the hearing when it is your turn. You may have to dial star six to unmute yourself. You'll have two to three minutes, depending on the length of the agenda and the volume of speakers. Our legal assistant will provide you with a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Please note that there is a delay between the live proceedings and what is broadcast and live streamed on TV and the internet. Therefore, it's very important that people calling in reduce or turn off the volume on their TVs or computers. Otherwise, there is interference with the meeting. If any of the participants or attendees on Zoom need a disability accommodation or technical assistance, you can make a request in the chat function to Alec Longway, the board's legal assistant, or send an email to boardofappeals at sfgov.org. Now, the chat function cannot be used to provide public comment or opinions. Please note that we will take public comment first from those members of the public who are physically present in the hearing room. Now we will swear in or affirm all those who intend to testify. Please note that any member of the public may speak without taking an oath pursuant to their rights under the Sunshine Ordinance. If you intend to testify at any of tonight's proceedings and wish to have the board give your testimony evidentiary weight, raise your right hand and say I do after you've been sworn in or affirmed. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? 
Okay, thank you. If you are a participant and you're not speaking, please put your Zoom speaker on mute. So commissioners, we do have one housekeeping item. <clears throat> item number five, appeal number 23-069 at 46 Homestead Street has been withdrawn and will not be heard tonight. <clears throat> so we'll move along to item number one general public comment. This is an opportunity for anyone who'd like to speak on a matter within the board's jurisdiction, but that is not on tonight's calendar. Is there any member of the public who wishes to speak on an item that is not on tonight's agenda? I don't see anyone in the room. I see one hand raised on Zoom. Richard Rothman, please go ahead. You need to oh. unmute. Yes. Yeah, oh. Good evening, uh, commissioners. My name is Richard Rothman. And I understand you're going to be hearing the Upper Great Highway appeal again, or asking for a hearing. And I would suggest that uh, you take a trip out to JFK and the Chain of Lakes on a Friday afternoon around 3.30. And all I'll say is you can see the effects of closing the Upper Great Highway on Friday afternoon in Golden Gate Park. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Is there any further general public comment? Please raise your hand. I don't see any, so we'll move on to item number two. Commissioner, comments and questions? Commissioners? I think we're, think we're good. Okay, thank you. We are now moving on to item number three, the adoption of the minutes. Commissioners, before you for discussion of possible adoption are the minutes of the February 21st, 2024 meeting. And prior to the hearing, I spoke with Deputy Zoning Administrator Tina Tam about item seven. This is appeal number 24-001 at 681 12th Avenue. This was the case that had the proposed ceramic studio in back. And Ms. Tam clarified that the Planning Commission's decision was made based on the plans dated September 21st, 2022, not September 1st, as reflected in the draft minutes. Consequently, the draft minutes should be amended to reflect this correction. Commissioner Trezvina. I move to adopt the minutes of the February 21st, 2024 meeting with the Tina Tam correction. Okay. Is there any public comment on this motion? Please raise your hand. I don't see any. So on the motion to adopt as amended by Tina Tam, uh, by Commissioner Trezvina, uh, President Lopez. Aye. Vice President Lemberg. Aye. Commissioner Epler. Aye. Commissioner Swig. Aye. That motion carries five to zero and the minutes are adopted as amended. Okay, we are now moving on to item number four. This is a special item. The Department of Building Inspection will discuss the solar photovoltaic permit process in San Francisco. So uh, welcome. And thank you for spending your Wednesday evening with us. Thank you, it's my honor. Uh, President Lopez, Vice President Limburg and commissioners. Uh, my name is James Zahn. I am the uh, senior engineer and uh, manager of the specialty plan review for the Department of Building Inspection. Specialty review covers uh, mechanical and electrical uh, plan review. And uh, so solar PV permitting is rarely uh, within my jurisdiction. And that is why uh, I come to you this evening to do this presentation. Um, first off, I'd like to brief you uh, the new solar uh, requirement under the California Energy Standard. Uh, we have the, under the new code, effective one one twenty three. we have a uh, enhanced expanded solar requirement. Uh, in the past, code cycle 
uh, it was pretty much a solar readiness uh, requirement, requiring uh, the building designate a certain area on the rooftop for solar, for, for future solar in, installation. But come this 2022 code cycle, uh, it actually requires the actual installation of this solar PV system uh, based on either the building size and usage uh, or uh, the minimum uh, uh, solar power uh, wattage based on uh, the useful roof area, uh, i.e. the solar access roof area or SERA. Um, they also are uh, applicable, these requirements are also applicable for new uh, multifamily and most of the new commercial buildings. Um, next, I'm going to talk about the solar, uh, the contractor eligible to pull solar permits. So they are uh, the A class contractor, general engineering contractor, or C10, uh, who are the electrical contractor, or C46, uh, solar uh, contractor uh, without the ability of installing the uh, battery energy storage system. Uh, the general contractor, uh, B licensed contractor, are also eligible uh, to pull uh, permits for solar system provided the solar system is part of the new constructions. Um, now, what type of permit can a, a solar PV system be permitted? Most of the uh, uh, solar uh, PV installation could be permitted by electrical trade permit uh, and trade permit only. Uh, for f the trade permit uh, uh, is quicker to issue. Uh, the cost of the permit is not as much as uh, the building permit. Um, so for the uh, uh, over close to 1,200 solar permit uh, that DBI issued in the last year, uh, only 6% of the, uh, eight per, less than 8% of all the solar permits require a building permit. So under what circumstances uh, the PV system requires solar permit? Um, only under the circumstances that the, uh, the building structural enhancement is required to support such solar system, then and only then a building permit is required. Um, in terms of solar inspection, uh, the, the method of uh, or requirement of solar inspection are based on the, cap the solar system's capacity. If it's under four kilowatt, um, then the contractor or the homeowner can uh, uh, request, schedule uh, a electrical inspection, an electrical inspection only online uh, with DBI's website. Uh, for, the, for the solar permit holder that are using uh, Solar App Plus, Solar App Plus is a online platform uh, mandated by, uh, by the state um, for our jurisdiction, for jurisdiction of our size is mandated by the end of September 2023, uh, jurisdiction must have a online permitting platform uh, to streamline and expedite the solar permit. So uh, for those permit holders using Solar Air Plus, uh, they are required to, to get their system 
inspected by fire department before they can call for DBI's electrical inspection. Now, the last type of permit, building, building permit uh, holder are required to get their PV system inspected also by uh, fire department and DBI's electrical inspection division before they can uh, uh, schedule a final inspection with the building inspector. Now, um, I'd like to devote the next uh, uh, few uh, slides uh, addressing uh, the California Solar Rights Act and solar uh, easement. Um, the California Solar Rights Act uh, limits uh, the CCNRs and local government's restriction uh, on the solar PV installation. Uh, based on California Civil Code Section 714 and 714.1. Um, the Act also established the legal right to a uh, solar easement which protects the access of the sunlight uh, across adjacent property. Um, it also described the minimum requirement needed to create uh, such a, uh, a solar easement. Um, the related code section is California section, Civil Code Section 801 and 801.5. Um, however, obtaining a solar easement um, could be difficult and costly because uh, an easement has to be based on bilateral negotiation of the, uh, um, of the property owner uh, on which the solar system is installed with the neighboring uh, property owner, and that, that, that could be time-consuming, and uh, uh, the legal cost of crafting and, and uh, validating such a easement uh, could be substantial as well. Um, I'd like to share a, a, a relevant uh, court case that uh, kind of established a precedence on uh, uh, solar uh, Eastman, and that is the uh, Zebras with the uh, County of uh, Santa Clara. Uh, the case, the basic facts of the, uh, the case is as follows. Back in 1997, the, uh, um, the County of Santa Clara purchased a land parcel uh, that is next to uh, this Zebras uh, development. Um, there are five or six trees at the time, back in 1997, um, and, and, and back then, the tree's height uh, did not impose any, did not cast any shade on the neighbor's uh, solar system. But over the next 15 years, uh, those trees grows 10 to 15 feet per year. So by 2024 or 2023, those trees have grown to a height of over 100 feet. So they really cast uh, very substantial shade, shading on the PV uh, system uh, on the property. Uh, and the property owner noticed their uh, solar system really starts malfunctioning because of the lack of sunlight uh, being able to reach their 15-year-old uh, solar system. Um, so they take the uh, they take the county. Well, despite the fact that, that the county has 
make verbal promise that they will trim the tree uh, to the height that they, they will not impact um, the functionality of the PV in such a, a significant uh, way um, that the bottom line is the county did not carry out their promise. Um, and that remains a concern. So uh, Zephyrus took them to, to court uh, in 2024. And after you know, this legal fight and maneuvers, uh, the, uh, the presiding judge uh, ruled it that uh, um, in favor of the county uh, for the reason that there was not a written um, solar uh, easement agreement in writing in a measurable terms. So um, they, um, they, they, they are a few essentials uh, required uh, to make an enforceable uh, solar easement agreement. And, and, and the most important things is that it the easement, solar easement must be expressed in writing in a measurable terms. It must um, also specify uh, under what circumstances the easement's condition could be uh, altered or terminated. But in this case, none of them exist. So the end result is that uh, the court ruled in the county of Santa Clara's favor. So that's my uh, brief presentation, uh, and, and, and here's uh, uh, my contact and uh, my associate's contact. Um, uh, as you may know, uh, DBI has two functional arms. One is uh, the permitting side or plan review side uh, with which I'm working, uh, and the other uh, arm is inspection and the, uh, uh, the PV inspection uh, really falls into the jurisdiction of EID electrical inspection. And I also list the uh, chief electrical inspector, uh, Ken Burke's contact information. So uh, if any of you or any of your constituents have one hour, uh, need our assistance, uh, please encourage them to uh, get a hold of us and uh, we'll be happy to assist. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. We do have a, a few questions. Questions? Sure. Commissioner Swig. Um, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for that presentation. Very informative. And now I'm going to put a couple of real life spins on it so that you can testify for the record to uh, clarify to the public a couple of what ifs. Uh, we had a what if um, <laughs> where uh, somebody was adding uh, a um, height onto a, a next door building. Somebody had put in um, 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 panels on their roof next door, and there was a complaint that, no, you can't add height onto your building because we have panels and you're going to block yeah. our sunlight. Yeah. So what, what you were, would you please clarify? I, I know what you just said, but I want you to c clarify in a real-life situation. So unless that person with the 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 panels had a pre-existing easement agreement right. that, that, that protected those panels, um, then they have, the, they're kind of out of luck yes. uh, if somebody yes. next door yeah. wants, to, yeah. wants to go up. Is that correct? That is correct, uh, Commissioner. Uh, despite the fact that the uh, California uh, uh, Solar Right Act 
um, implies that everybody should have the right to access uh, uh, the sunlight uh, for the sake of re uh, generating renewable energy, that's solar energy. Um, it, um, it, it, it is of paramount importance that uh, such easement, uh, i.e. Uh, the protection uh, of the, uh, the right of the existing solar systems, uh, the right of access to the sunlight, um, such easement is, it, it is not enforceable unless it is in writing in clear and measurable terms and agreed by both parties, meaning the, the, the party owning the PV system and the party next door or the adjacent party uh, entertaining the idea of building a vertical condition that could potentially shade uh, the solar system, blocking their access to sun, sunlight. Thank you. And as I was listening to that very same testimony, what was going through my mind is why would anybody um, grant an easement uh, to, a, to a next door neighbor um, if they had any intent of, of wanting to do, uh, maximize the potential of their building? And, and what are the terms of a, uh, what are the terms of a negotiation to, to, to get an easement? Because if I own a, a building that's three stories tall, but I'm entitled to take that building to six stories because um, of the zoning, why would I, well, what, 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 would, what, would, what would motivate me as that person to grant an easement to the, the next door neighbor to protect a potential installation of a, of a panel? Just, I mean, that's real life. What, what, what does that, what does that negotiation sound like? That, that, as my presentation implies, that there could be very costly, time-consuming, and 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 effort-consuming. Um, but we all know that if you, uh, uh, let's let's take Sunset District for instance, where I where where I live. Uh, even if my neighbor one is proposing to to uh, uh, to expand vertically with one with a single story, which is uh, unlikely to have a very significant uh, uh, shading effect, if I have a uh, 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 a solar system existing on my rooftop, um, that proposal still planning department still require them to. To send out notice to neighbors, if I remember correctly, within a hundred feet or even three hundred feet uh, for for notice, that that is the time to raise the question. Hey, if you're not talking about a single-story vertical addition, um, uh, as a plan checker, I have seen uh, uh, property having proposing not a single story, not three story. I can, I have personally seen as many story as nine stories, uh, just for to, to, uh, to bring more uh, uh, housing units into the housing market, some of them affordable, and, and we all know how important that is. Um, and if you're talking about that significant a, uh, uh, a vertical condition, it, it will have a very similar effect to that 
150 feet trees, and, and if it's a tree, you can trim that. If it's a building, there's no way to trim them, right? So um, I guess the, the key takeaway is to uh, yeah, engage in the negotiation process. I don't know that negotiation may be um, in the form of uh, if for whatever reason that the planning commission did grant that that significant a vertical addition, maybe the, the, the property owner owning the PV system can, can ask for other form of um, uh, compensation or maybe even propose some sort of a solar system on the neighboring uh, buildings uh, with that six, seven story uh, addition because they is, is highly unlikely somebody else will shake their system. But when you, uh, um, when I mentioned that the, the new requirement uh, uh, for, for the PV system, um, the, the cutoff is 10 story. If your building is more than 10 story, then your building is much more likely to obtain an exemption for installing solar panel because that, man, that many story, 10 plus story uh, are uh, the building system, the mechanical system, are, are contenting for that very limited uh, roof area. You have to put your chiller, your, your HVAC, your exhaust fan. So the higher the story, the less the uh, actual solar PV installation requirements are. Uh, so that's unlikely if, it, 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 however, if, if it's not, if under 10, then the next door neighbor may be able to negotiate, well, since you're blocking my sunlight, what about you yield a portion of your rooftop uh, for my solar system so that I can still somehow retain somehow of some, at least some of my uh, renewable energy generation? You know, that kind of thing. Or maybe just asking for some sort of a financial compensation. So uh, it, it but, but you have to make that request in time before before it's too late. Yeah. So it sounds like that that story is still in evolution. Um, uh, the other thing is, and another real life circumstance we had just a couple of months ago, um, somebody uh, made an appeal uh, against a building that was installing um, uh, PV on or the uh, panels on their roof. And because it's, uh, they said, well, it's, our view went from, we used to look out onto a roof that was simply a roof, and now we're gonna look out onto a roof that's full of panels and they're gonna reflect sunlight, yeah. and it's gonna ruin our quality of life and maybe our health and blah, 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 blah. Um, and just for the, for the record, and uh, we denied that appeal. Um, but just for the for the record, how does the, the these new laws or the evolution of that law uh, is that going to sustain what, that, what we what we did is deny the appeal? And can anybody put uh, those panels on their roofs um, for their own purposes? That uh, uh, unfortunately, that 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 is, I, I believe, is outside of building department's jurisdiction. That, that I'm sorry, can you speak into the microphone? We can't yeah, hear you. That, Thank uh, you. Sorry, that may be a better answer by, by, the, by our, our colleagues in planning department. Okay. Um, if, you, if somebody's complaining about um, the, uh, 
the uh, uh, sun refraction, that, 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 that sounds like some sort of a, a, a light pollution uh, to me, which could be, I recognize that could be very uncomfortable. But uh, unfortunately, that, that, that is not DBI's jurisdiction. Okay. So may, maybe so. Mr. Teague will write us a note to that effect and go on the record at some point about that. Okay. Thank you. Thank Commissioner Trisvina? Thank you. I appreciate your presentation. I just had a very quick question. You. On your last slide, you referenced a zipper case. Yeah. And it's 20 years old. It's unpublished. Is that is that the last best uh, guidance from the yeah, courts? Yeah, well, that's the last known and, and is the closest uh, being a Santa Clara. It's uh, uh, not very far from from our city and county, uh, so uh, therefore I, I believe that's the most relevant case. Okay, well, it doesn't impress me that that's close to us, but it seems like in the last 20 years the this has this technology has evolved. I'm just I'm just surprised that that no other courts have really looked at that. Yeah, but 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 the engineering uh, f fundamentals of uh, solar panel relying on sunlight to generate energy uh, that remains unchanged, I believe. And uh, um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank okay. You. Thank you so much. I don't see any further questions. Thank you. Uh, we thank you. We will now see if there's any public comment for this item. Anybody in the room? So, so Mr. Zahn, you could be seated. Thank you. Uh, good evening, commissioners. My name is Alex Lansberg. I'm with the electrical industry. This is actually fortuitous that he was here because I'm here on another item. I actually had a question for uh, for the presenter, and I don't know if it's through you, uh, but how would DBI consider PV installations with or without battery storage that are not connected to the grid, uh, that are purely independent uh, and powering building equipment without ever connecting to the grid. Was that something you would permit? You know what, this is really like an offline type of question. Yeah. This is public comment on his presentations. If you want to connect with okay. him separately, uh, that's great. Yeah, uh, please, Did you, I, I'll, I'll put up my uh, um, okay. contact information <laughs> okay. up uh, again for, for, for you to note that down. Uh, yeah, maybe, I'll, I'll maybe be, if you could just address your question. Right. I couldn't uh, pass up the opportunity. Yeah, if we could yeah. <laughs> okay. flash up your, okay. your contact information, that, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Is there any public comment on this item in the room? Anybody on Zoom? Okay, I don't see any public comments, so we, this concludes that item. Thank you so much for joining us. We are now moving on, as I previously mentioned, item number five. That appeal has been withdrawn, so we're moving on to item number six. This is appeal number 24-002, Mark Maloof versus Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department Approval, subject property 140 14th Street, appealing the issuance on December 29, 2023 to Deca Holdings LLC of an alteration permit, install 20 electric vehicle chargers for 40 vehicles, convert from vehicle storage lot to fleet charging use. This is permit number 2022-1019-4657, and we'll hear from the appellant first. We're gonna be Welcome. Good evening. My name is Mark Malouf, uh, the appellant. Um, I am a bu uh, business uh, representative, union representative with Teamsters Local 665. 
This appeals for a building permit issued to establish fleet charging at 140 14th Street. This fleet charging will provide a charging facility for autonomous vehicles that will deliver people and packages in our city 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is why the Board of Supervisors requires fleet charging to obtain a conditional use approval, something that this building permit was not required to do. For too long, fleet charging companies have exploited a loophole in the planning code to avoid conditional use approval because they don't want public scrutiny. The autonomous vehicle companies like Waymo, Zooks, or even Cruise will rely on fleet charging facilities to power autonomous vehicles that replace good paying parcel delivery jobs so they don't want to go in front of the planning commission for approval and don't want to play by the rules. I yield the balance of my time to our land use attorney, Peter Ziblatt, who will provide more detail about the basis of our appeal of this building permit. Thank you. Mr. Green, can you please shut the door? I am Peter Ziblatt, Land Use Counsel to the appellant, obviously. We are appealing the issuance of this building permit, as Mr. Maloof just noted, because it required conditional use approval. Now, fleet charging serves as the base station for autonomous vehicles in the city, as we know, as he noted. And the fleet charging companies and their partners have rushed throughout the city to establish fleet charging uses in PDR district, in the PDR district. This property is in the PDR district, PDR 1G zoning district. And in general, fleet charging does require conditional use approval, with one exception. There's a loophole, which has now been closed by the Board of Supervisors as of yesterday, that allows fleet charging to go forward as a use without conditional use approval if you first establish either vehicle storage or private parking lot as the existing use. Overhead. Overhead. You seen the item there? Okay. We pause the time. That's fine. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. There's always some technical glitch here. Do you want to zoom out a little? Under fleet charging, or right here where my pen is pointed, it's a conditional use approval. C. There's the footnote 24. It's permitted where existing use is vehicle storage or private parking lot. So the question is, what do these terms mean? What are we talking about here? Talking about two different uses defined in the planning code. Overhead, please. Overhead again. Vehicle storage is a retail automotive use that provides for the storage of buses, recreational vehicles, mobile homes, etc. It's what you and I would commonly consider like any storage facility for vehicles. What is a private parking lot? It's a non-retail automotive use. What that means is there's no public access. It's a private parking lot for a private property owner. Private parking lot's very different than a vehicle storage lot, and it's important. So let me show you an image of the subject property. Overhead, please. Can zoom out, please? Or is that fine? That's, that might help, yeah. Okay. That's the subject property. That's this quote-unquote vehicle storage lot. This Image was taken from the San Francisco planning website. The image is dated February, I'm sorry, July 18th, 2022, after vehicle storage was established here. I'm gonna continue with a couple images here, bear with me. 
This is 201 Tolan Street, also an image taken from the San Francisco planning website, where a private parking lot use was actually legally established in the planning records for Waymo. It looks, as you can see, in this section here, very similar to the subject property. By way of example, here is vehicle storage. Interestingly enough, this parcel, this image in red, is adjacent to the subject property. There's the autonomous vehicles in a private parking lot. Right, ne right next door is what we would all commonly call vehicle storage. There's an RV, there's a storage shed, there's cars. That's vehicle storage. Once again, it's a public use where people store items, not a private parking lot for a private company. So you're probably asking, what, what are you talking about? Why are you even talking about this? It's very important because under the back to the planning code table here, Well, that's not going to quite get there. A private parking lot required a conditional use approval, meaning that it was easy to call it a vehicle storage lot because that's permitted. You could, and they used it for a private parking lot. And the reason is because you didn't have to go through conditional use approval, which is the whole point of this exercise and the whole reason I'm here. As a result, we, by calling it vehicle storage, but using it as a private parking lot, they used it for a use that required a conditional use permit and are now establishing fleet charging by going through the loophole as vehicle storage. Now, our, our request is clear. This type of land use ch chicanery can't continue. And the reason we are here is to appeal this item and say, go back to the beginning. Let's clean up the record here. It's not the planning department. It's not DBI's fault. This is, has nothing to do with them. The applicant came in with an application for vehicle storage, turned around and used it for private parking for autonomous vehicles that come and go out of that facility, not for vehicle storage. And the reason was to avoid conditional use approval for a private parking lot. Thank you. Thank you. Are you finished? You, we you. Yes. we do have a question from Commissioner Trisvenia. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I Th thank you. Thank you for your testimony yep. and, and the written submission as well. I want to focus on the legislation that you just described. Yes. It, it, within the papers, there was a description of there was a discussion on both sides saying that, that that was pending legislation. And are you, uh, is that the same legislation that you now say was passed by the Board of Supervisors? Yeah, yeah, so, so correct, good questions, because I was, uh, was intimately involved with that. So the loophole has now closed, but pursuant to an amendment offered at the Land Use Committee on Monday at the Board of Supervisors, it, it established a cutoff date of January 11th, 2024, meaning any application, including this one, has been grandfathered in, for lack of a better term. So they're protected. So that, I don't quarrel with that issue anymore because through the legislative process, this application, as well as a host of others that came in before January 11th, 2024, now can utilize the loophole. So that part of your argument is? It changed in the last 48 hours. Is, is gone. Yes. And the, the, the remaining is what the actual uses was. Correct. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the permit holder. And if I could get the uh, computer slideshow, please. Uh, computer, please. 
Okay, uh, good evening, commissioners. John Kevlin here with Ruben, Junius, and Rose on behalf of the permit holder, DECA Holdings. I'm gonna use my time tonight to make some corrections, clarifications, and fill some omissions uh, that the appellant has made regarding the subject uh, permit. What you'll see is that the permit holders meticulously followed all permitting and zoning requirements with respect to the property at 140 14th Street. So let's get started. Uh, first, I wanna make sure the board is absolutely clear about the site at issue in this appeal. Uh, the site, which is a surface lot, uh, is actually made up of five different parcels. Uh, per DBI procedure, every time any change is made to the site as a whole, five separate permits need to be filed. The subject appeal tonight deals with a single fleet charging permit that applies to only one parcel at the site. Uh, the other four parcels have fleet charging permits that have been issued and were not appealed. Uh, and you can see 14th is identified on the screen there. Um, so uh, from here, I'm going to walk through the appellant's arguments one by one. So the first argument, uh, and really what the, uh, is at the heart of this appeal, is that, via, that a vehicle storage lot use was never properly established at the site. This is simply not true. Um, now, but first, why is that even important? And uh, you know, the, um, Mr. Ziblatt made this point in his, his remarks. Um, the planning code zoning table that applies uh, at the site allows fleet charging use to be approved without conditional uh, use authorization if the legal existing use is either a private parking lot or a vehicle storage lot. Uh, this fact is not in dispute. I think we've heard it acknowledged tonight, acknowledged in both briefs as well. And that's exactly what happened here. Uh, what you have on the screen here um, is the building permit for the establishment of vehicle storage lot in 2021 after the fire that had occurred at the site. The permit clearly shows empty paved lot as the existing use and vehicle storage lot as the proposed use. The planning department's note clearly states uh, change of use to vehicle storage area. Uh, and then there are also permits effectuating the same change of use for the four other lots uh, as well, and we included that in our brief. This is really the entire crux of the appeal. No one disputes that the planning code allows for this change of use from vehicle storage lot to fleet charging without a conditional use authorization. The permit holder clearly established vehicle storage lot via a building permit. The appellant missed this permit, was not in the brief. I think that's what happened here. This is the beginning and the end of the legal issue. It is a legal vehicle storage lot permit approved and, and issued in December of last year, authorizing conversion to fleet charging without a conditional use, as is what the code says. Uh, now, uh, oops. Uh, appellant's second argument is that the permit holder pursued um, serial permitting to establish the fleet charging use. In essence, the appellant charges the permit holder with converting the property to vehicle storage lot for the purpose of then qualifying for the ability to convert the site to fleet charging without conditional use authorization. Once again, a simple look at the facts undermines this argument. Um, the permits establishing vehicle storage lot at the site were all closed out by December of 2021 uh, in green below. Uh, the original fleet charging legislation wasn't even introduced at the Board of Supervisors until the next month, January 2020. And most importantly, the inclusion of the conditional use requirement to establish fleet charging in PDR zoning districts didn't even get proposed until July of 2022, seven months after the property was already fully uh, converted to a, a vehicle storage lot. So the suggestion that the permit holder converted the property to vehicle storage lot just to qualify for the ability to convert to fleet charging can quickly be debunked here since there was no way they could have known this process would have even been in place. Process was introduced seven months later. Uh, the appellant also suggests that the ability to convert from a vehicle storage lot or a private parking lot uh, was in some, uh, was some sort of loophole 
that was unintended by the Board of Supervisors. Again, a simple look at the legislative history quickly disproves this uh, suggestion. Uh, at the Land Use Committee, uh, this was discussed in detail. Um, Supervisor Melgar actually asked the question, do we know which sites are going to be impacted by this exception from the conditional use requirement? Supervisor Peskin replied, yes, we do. I have a list of 12 that we are aware of, uh, 140-14th being on the site. And then he finished, quote, the footnote would allow these, those 12 sites to be permitted. So pretty clear evidence that the Board of Supervisors knew exactly what they were doing when they created this uh, exception from the conditional use requirement. And it makes sense, right? I mean, have it for, from a policy perspective, we've got existing lots throughout the city. Why would we not want to encourage them to uh, uh, convert to EV uh, storage rather than just uh, uh, fossil fuel cars? And then the final argument, um, which I think we've already identified as moot, uh, which is that uh, you know, we shouldn't be applying the law that was in effect in December 2023 when the permit was approved, not even the law in effect as of today, but the law that's pending at the Board of Supervisors. I, <laughs> this board's well aware that we should be applying the law that's in effect at the moment the permit is reviewed and approved. But beyond that, as we just heard yesterday, the legislation was updated, amended, and approved by the Board of Supervisors on first reading, which uh, set a grandfathering date of January 11th, 2024. This permit on file 14 months before that, well before that. So uh, it's a moot point either way. Whether you apply today's law or the law that's coming, uh, it's the same. So. Uh, so uh, in closing, I think we've got a very clear record to show vehicle storage lot was uh, uh, properly established at the site via permit um, prior to any changes in the law regarding fleet charging. Uh, we all agree that the law does say that you can convert without a conditional use authorization uh, when you have an existing vehicle storage lot. Uh, and of course, the legislation, I don't think we need to even talk about it anymore. So for these reasons, respectfully request that the board uh, deny the appeal. And I'm here if you have any questions. Thank you. I don't see any questions at this Thank time. You. We'll now hear from the planning department. Good evening, President Lopez, Commissioners Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator from the Planning Department. Um, so essentially, there's only one question before the board tonight is whether this one permit was issued in error or was it issued properly. Um, I think the uh, uh, permit holders brief and their presentation does a very good job of kind of outlying in a very organized and accurate manner um, how the permit was uh, met all the planning code requirements at the time that it was issued and therefore it was uh, legally issued um, and then not only that but the previous permits to convert to vehicle storage where which are not the subject of the appeal tonight, but were um, relevant to this permit being able to be issued uh, as a principally permitted use and without a conditional use authorization. Those permits were also um, legally and validly uh, issued. Um, so it's definitely the planning department's position that this permit before you tonight was issued legally um, and was not issued in error. Um, it is, though, important to just acknowledge that fleet charging and a lot of the policy issues around it, it's, it's a new use. You know, it's, it's only been a use in the planning code for a short time now with the regulations that came with it. 
as we've heard, there's new legislation to evolve those controls further. I'm sure there will be legislation in the future. This is an involving technology and issue that's uh, facing the city. So we, we definitely understand the challenges um, both for the public and other stakeholders and the departments to kind of keep up with this. Um, and this is part of why we needed to create fleet charging as a land use definition and have those controls adopted originally is to be able to, you know, better um, understand and also regulate these activities. Um, so I know that this specific land use fleet charging and vehicle storage and the nuances there, I don't think these are topics that have currently come up before, before the Board of Appeals. So I'm definitely happy to answer any questions that you may have about those definitions and those regulations maybe more broadly. But again, just to reassert that for this specific permit, um, I think the permit holder did a really good job, so I'm not going to you know, double back on any of those details in laying out how, um, while the provisions for how fleet charging are principally permitted are proposed to be changing and will be changing in the future for this particular permit, uh, it was principally permitted at the time and the permit was issued correctly. So respectfully request that you deny the appeal and I'm available for any questions you may have. Thank you. We have questions from Vice President Lemberg and Commissioner Epler. Thank you, Mr. Teague, as always. I um, have a very narrow question, which is uh, regarding the uh, alleged or proposed change of use that occurred several years ago. Um, I just want to get your opinion on that, get your uh, the planning department's position on whether that change of use was uh, was applied correctly legally and all of that. I, it it sure. seems that you've uh, endorsed the permit holder's brief, which I understand. I just want to hear it specifically. Sure, no, and that's a fair question because I think the appellant raised you know, a slightly different question, which is you know, these lots got valid permits to change the use to vehicle storage. And then they kind of raised the question, were they actually used as vehicle storage or were they used as a different use? Um, now that's the path. I, I don't know the answer to that 100% because I don't believe I've looked at that specific question. Um, if there was a concern that a, any particular property is being used as a use that's not permitted, that's more of an enforcement issue. So even if that had been the case and there was an enforcement um, situation, we would have required them to stop using it for whatever other use it would have been, um, whether it be fleet charging or anything else. Um, that wouldn't have affected what the underlying legal use would have been, which would have still been vehicle storage. Um, it's hard to tell from the pictures, and this is, again, where we get into some nuance with the land use definitions, because we have multiple uses that are related to parking or storage of vehicles, and the difference in these are, you know, there's a lot of nuance. So on paper and pictures, they kind of can look very similar, even though how they're actually being used and operate are operated are the distinction in the land use definition. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does. And then one follow-up question. One of the things that, uh, that, the, perm that the appellant pointed out um, was the, the entry in, in the, in the, in the I, don't, I don't actually know what this is called now that I'm thinking about it, the, the, the record that you look up on the website for the property. Uh, the one dated 12-29-23 definitely does say specifically um, no change of use was issued. Is that was that an error, or was that like what's the context behind so that? So I think I, I did look at that, um, and 
my recollection is that so that language is a note from a staff person who's reviewing that permit and they're kind of notes that are in kind of chronological order and I think that that reference was to it wasn't specifically saying that permit was not for a change of use because the permit very clearly was for a change of use and the comments were very clear that this is for a change of use like that's what the permit was so um, I didn't find that to be kind of a, a compelling argument to say that the permit wasn't actually a change of use when it very clearly was. Okay, thank you. Sure. Commissioner Epler? Um, you largely answered my question uh, when responding to Commissioner Lemberg, but I'm gonna kind of run through it again and make it a little bit clearer for me. Um, so, uh, you know, let's, let's use a hypothetical case in PDR 1G. I go out and I apply to have a storage yard. That's a permitted use. Um, I go, I file, I get that use. So I bring in the things that I'm going to store there, which are volatile materials, which the storage of volatile materials are not a permitted use. And I knew I was going to do that the entire time, let's just say. I knew I was going to bring those materials there. That's what I wanted to store. But I got the storage yard use instead of the volatile materials use, which I could not get. That storage yard use is still valid on the property, even though I walked in and you know did something entirely inappropriate in terms of storage there, correct? If that storage yard use is permitted as a princely permitted use, then the answer to that question is yes. Right. If it was permitted in a, in a different way, if it was an, um, a legal non-conforming use, sure. or if it was a conditional use, mm -hmm. those are subject to kind of abandonment provisions. Well, in my hypothetical, right. I walked in and asked for the storage right. use. Right, and that okay. one, you're correct, that was kind of the point, that was one of the points I was making, which is, if you get the legal permit and it's finaled, right, so you, you've, uh, legally change the use to use A, and then at some point you start using it for use B, the still legal underlying use is, is use A. Right, and it doesn't change, you know, regardless of what I do, the legal underlying use Correct. is the legal underlying use at that point in time. Correct. And then, as you said, the mechanism to deal with my improper use is then an enforcement issue and not a change of use at that time. Correct. Got it. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. President Lopez? Thank you for, for your testimony. Um, just a quick confirmation. So we've had the parties uh, state on the record their interpretations of the recent legislation. And I know that it's hot off the press within the last 48 hours. And, but I also know that you follow these things closely. I just wanted to check if, uh, if your perspective on the legislation aligns with, with, with theirs or if there's anything that you uh, see differently that would be germane to the case. No, I think my position is very much aligned with the permit holder's description of the legislation, both kind of historically and leading up to the new legislation and then the recent um, proposal as of Monday. Just to follow up quickly, the legislation has not been enacted and signed into law, correct? Correct. So it's as if it doesn't exist legally. Correct. It's like as of today, Yes, and then relative to when this permit was issued, definitely. Great, thank you. Thank you, no further questions. Thank you. Okay, we will now hear from the Department of Building Inspection. Uh, good evening, President Lopez, Vice President Lemberg, Commissioners, uh, Matthew Green representing the Department of Building Inspection this evening. Um, for this lot, um, just from history, there was a massive fire back there in uh, 2020. Uh, DBI issued an emergency order 
Um, actually, since the building spans several lots, we issued three emergency orders to demolish the building. Um, a permit to demolish was issued in October of 2020, and the permit was finally completed in 20, uh, November of 2020. Um, so there was, a, there was a permit issued in September of 2021 with the description, repair damaged asphalt and stripe the storage lot. And that's where the comment were made about the change of use. Um, just to address uh, uh, Vice President Lemberg's question about the comment um, that was made by DBI staff about there's no change of use. I, I think he was saying there was no permit that actually had the specific language change of use, which sometimes we see change of use from, say, restaurant to um, um, coffee shop or something like that. We, we do see permits like that. But I would say that this permit, the 2021 permit, it did clearly go through the process and, and was established as a change of use permit. Um, the permit before us tonight was uh, filed in October of 20, uh, 2022 after review by all the appropriate uh, city departments, including the fire department, health department, planning, and DBI. The permit was issued in January 12th of 2024. Uh, DBI believes the permit was reviewed properly and issued properly and is co code compliant and recommends that the board um, uh, denies the appeal and upholds the permit. I'm available for any questions you may have. Okay, thank you. I don't see any questions. Okay, thank so, you. So we will now move on to public comment. Is there anyone in the room? Thank you. And after you're done, if you could fill out a speaker card so we get your name correct for the minutes, that'd be great. Sure. Thank um, you. I promise not to ask anybody any questions uh, uh, this time. So hi. Uh, uh, members, board members. Uh, my name is Alex Landsberg. I'm the research and advocacy director for the San Francisco Electrical, I'm sorry, uh, Construction Industry, the Labor Management Committee of IBW Local 6 and the San Francisco Electrical Contractors Association. I'm here to urge you to reject uh, this appeal. Uh, this is, I think as we've seen, this is fairly frivolous. We're supportive of the site being used for electrical vehicle charging. Uh, EV chargers will be installed by IBW, uh, IBW members and SFECA, the local San Francisco contractors. Projects like this um, uh, meet, uh, meet demand for green jobs in San Francisco. Uh, and the, you know, as we've seen, change of use permits were, were properly granted. Uh, this thing was submitted long before anyone envisioned um, the legislation that passed on its first reading yesterday, and the amendments that uh, that Supervisor Peskin added in there would have exempted this project uh, from uh, from uh, from coverage by it uh, anyway. Um, our members are looking forward to to getting getting to work on this. We have a lot of people, a lot of work, uh, just because of the collapse of the tenant improvement sector uh, with with offices and um, and you know, frankly, just. Getting, uh, getting the infrastructure that we need for the green energy transition is just absolutely vital to make happen. So look forward to your rejection of this appeal. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Yes. Good evening, members of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. My name is Jackson Upier, speaking on behalf of the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber urges the San Francisco Board of Appeals to deny the appeal and vote to allow the site at 140 14th Street to be used for electrical vehicle charging. The San Francisco Chamber of Commerce supports and encourages innovative, environmentally sustainable solutions to jumpstart our local economy as we continue our economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. 
We need to change the narrative that it's difficult to operate a business in San Francisco. Denying this appeal sends a message to businesses across the country that San Francisco supports and welcomes new innovative businesses. We urge you to deny the appeal without delay and vote to allow electric vehicle charging at 114th, 14th, or 140, 114th, 140th, 14th Street. Thank you. Thank you. If you could fill out a speaker card, that'd be great. Thank you. Is there any further public comment in the room? I don't see, if you're on Zoom and you wanna provide public comment, please raise your hand. I don't see any, so we're gonna move on to rebuttal. Mr. Zublat, you have three minutes. Thank you. Overhead again, please, thank you. If you need help zooming out, Alec. I did get it this time. My technological uh, limitations are very odd. Awesome. Like from the 1980s technology, yeah, I think, exactly. so. Yeah. There we go, thank you. Um, I appreciate the applicant's comments, applicant's attorneys, Mr. Kevlin, I have great respect for him. Um, it was pretty apparent to me what was conspicuously absent from his uh, presentation was any discussion about what the property was being used for. Now, if I, I'm not gonna tell anybody how to defend or proceed on a case, my opinion would be I would provide receipts showing that I was actually doing vehicle storage activities at that property. I would show contracts with individuals who were storing vehicles there, but there was nothing like that. There was none of that evidence because the reality is it wasn't ever used for vehicle storage. To the board's questions regarding, well, is it okay if you come in and call it vehicle storage and then start storing hazardous materials there? Are we okay with that? Well, I, I, the question really has to come back to the board. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with an autonomous vehicle company or their contractor establishing, this looks like Zooks or Waymo, one of the two, establishing private parking for their vehicles, not a vehicle storage lot. Vehicle storage lot, by definition, has cars staying for 72 hours or more. We know that autonomous vehicles don't sit there for 72 hours or more. They go in and out mapping the city. This was a private parking lot use. This board does not reject this appeal or request they go back and establish that use legally. It just says it doesn't really matter what you do with the property so long as you document it correctly. That will be the unintended consequence here. So I appreciate your time tonight and I respectfully request that you, that you uphold the appeal and request that the applicant go back and get conditional use approval for the actual use of the property, which is a private parking lot. Thank you. Thank you. I don't see any questions, so we'll now hear from the permit holder. Thank you, commissioners. I don't think I have anything else to add, so in respect for everyone's time, I'm gonna uh, just sit down unless there are any questions for me at this point. I don't see any questions. Thank you. Thank you. We'll hear from the planning department. So again, the only additional bit of information I would add is that you know, vehicle storage is a uncommon use. We don't have that many places in the city that get authorized for it. Um, it a lot of times it is single tenant. I mean, I think more recently, what we tend to see in vehicle storage um, is like car sale lots that need off lot storage of vehicles because they can't store them all on the lot. And so again, it's not for a parking use, it's to store the vehicles um, for some longer period of time until they're used elsewhere. Um, so I just want to be kind of clear about what vehicle storage kind of is and isn't. And again, I, you know, we, I don't have any specific information regarding the issue of how specifically the site was used um, up until it was authorized for fleet charging, but available for any other questions you may have. 
Thank you. I don't see any questions at this time. Anything further from DBI? Okay, thank you. So commissioners, this matter is submitted. Uh, commissioners, let's let's start at the the other end of the the galley here. Commissioner Swig, um, <clears throat> I see no problem with the permit, so I would deny the appeal. All right. Um, if we had an appeal and there was an enforcement action on the use, and the the um, permit holder was appealing that that enforcement action, this would be a very different sort of case because we'd be looking at the uses and what's permitted there and the discrepancy between the two. But we're not looking at that today. And that doesn't mean the land use doesn't matter and it doesn't mean that planning doesn't matter. But what also matters with that is the legislative intent of those things that give rise to the code that we're interpreting. And it seems on the record that the legislative intent was to allow uh, fleet charging in certain places. And <laughs> by name, this was one of those that was identified. You don't often get that, but that, that, that's there. And when that planning needs to change because circumstances changes, the proper way of dealing with that is through the legislative process. And that is also happening right now. Um, and so, you know, I, it, it's not that, you know, as the, the appellant stated, it wouldn't matter if a, um, you know, a toxic chemicals were being kept on the site. The proper mechanism for that is for enforcement. It's not to undermine or get rid of or nullify the underlying zoning that is already, or the underlying use that is already on the parcel. So the underlying use in this case uh, would allow for fleet charging to occur without unconditional use. You know, bad on them for doing something that might have been wrong in between that should have been an enforcement action if it was a problem. There was not. Um, so in that case, yes, I would vote to deny the appeal and uphold the permit on the basis that was properly issued. Um, I was about to say a lot of the things that Commissioner Epler just said, so I uh, instead will just say that I fully and wholeheartedly endorse everything that he just said. I'm very sensitive and uh, I, I'm very sensitive to the underlying issues uh, behind this appeal, uh, and you know I certainly have some concerns that are outside the scope of this uh, of this appeal tonight. But uh, overall, there's, uh, I have not seen a legal basis to overturn the permit, and therefore I have to vote to, uh, to deny the appeal. I, I would deny the appeal as well. The appellant may have some compelling arguments, but not in this proceeding. Uh, the, the issues, as my colleagues have described, there may be issues re regarding the actual use, uh, but the, the department's made clear, and I think we've all established, that uh, that's not it's not required and it doesn't affect this this uh, permit uh, i'm also not persuaded by the actions or the semi-actions of the board of supervisors i think we we need to defer to actual law and it's not yet law uh, but even if you say even even if you disregard the apparent effort to get a law passed and assuming I have no idea whether the mayor would sign it or not. I assume she would. Um, even without that, uh, we, we go back to we go back to the current status of the law, uh, and and I find the appellant's uh, arguments unavailing. So I would uh, uphold the appeal, uphold the uh, permit as properly issued. Thanks, everyone. I'm I'm in line with with the the comments of Commissioner Epler and and, and everybody else. Uh, I think I, I am. Uh, also sympathetic to the appellant's 
Last point with respect to uh, the actual use, uh, but uh, but to then uh, turn to the permit holder and ask them to verify the actual use uh, in order to qualify for the appeal feels like a bridge too far and out of step with uh, with the normal process that we uh, go through with with these uh, types of decisions. Uh, so with that, I would. Uh, move to uh, deny the appeal on the basis that the permit was properly issued. So that's the motion on the table? Yes. Okay, thank you. So on that motion, Commissioner Trisvina? Aye. Vice President Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. Commissioner Swig? Aye. So that motion carries 5 to 0 and the appeal is denied. Thank you. So we are now moving on to item number 7. This is a special item. Discussion of possible action. The board shall consider adopting a resolution which allows for remote public participation at board hearings. The resolution further encourages parties and their representatives to attend hearings in person, but allows for their remote participation. And I did set out kind of an extensive history on the agenda. Uh, basically, on October 17, 2023, the Board of Supervisors discontinued remote public comment by members of the public, except as necessary for disability accommodations. Thereafter, the mayor's office instructed commissions to adopt the Board of Supervisors' new rule. And we had a hearing to discuss this on December 6, and the result of that hearing was that then President Swig asked me to draft some language uh, memorializing the consensus at the hearing on December 6th. So that's what is before you. Uh, commissioners, any, any discussion? Maybe we'll start with Commissioner Trezvina this time. No, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I just, I, I'm very supportive of this, uh, of this resolution as drafted, and I want to thank Ms. Rosenberg for your uh, efforts and in drafting this, I think you did an excellent job and in uh, encapsulating what we uh, discussed at our December 6th hearing. Um, and I am very, I am very happy to support this resolution. That's all I wanted to say. And if I, if I could add just on, on the point where we apparently depart from the mayor's direction. Uh, I recall when the Board of Supervisors made their change barring uh, remote testimony, there were some very specific and egregious reasons for them to do so that we have not had to deal with. And I, and I, I think the spirit of this board has been to extend ourselves to the public and make ourselves available to the public. So I'm, I, for one, am willing to take the risk uh, that the Board of Supervisors had to deal with. I don't think we'll have to deal with it, and I think on balance, um, we, we want to be uh, make ourselves fully available to the public, and I and I support the uh, resolution. Commissioner Ebler, um, I want to echo uh, both of my fellow commissioners' comments. Um, you've uh, executive director Rosenberg's done a great job of uh, making us make sense uh, in this in this resolution, and uh, I deeply appreciate that. Commissioner Swig. Um, yeah, I, I want to echo everything that's been said and echo uh, the appreciation for executive director, also for the leadership of our president, President uh, Emeritus, uh, Commissioner Swig, uh, who uh, you know shepherded that that conversation 
in a in a productive fashion. And I think we have, uh, you know, like uh, Commissioner Trasvina said, uh, something that reflects the the spirit of uh, wanting more uh, public input and public invol involvement in our proceedings. And I think that's a that's a positive thing. Um, Procedurally, do we need a motion to adopt? Um, we need public comment first, and someone is here to sure. speak. So is there anyone in the room who wants to provide public comment? Hello. Um, Corey Teague, Sony Administrator. I, for Planning Department, I just thought it'd be interesting to know, I mean, on this issue, you know, the Planning Commission has stopped taking remote comment except when there are accommodations requested. Um, but just for your information, zoning administrator hearings for variances and enforcement hearings, we have continued to have remote hearing, uh, remote access and public comment um, and plan to do those through at least the spring um, and then kind of reevaluate there. So just wanted to give you that information um, so that you're aware of it. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to provide public comment? Okay, I see a caller um, on Zoom. Please go ahead. You need to dial star six to unmute yourself. Oh, okay, go ahead. And this is Sue Hester. Uh, I mean to serve a remote call in on this item. I encourage the commission to hold fast with your position. It's reasonable for people to have disabilities, and a lot of people can't take the time to come to City Hall. So maximum participation is helpful to have input. The last hearings that you had were informative. And so if I had reason to comment, I would have commented. But today, this comment is keep your legislation intact. The fact that the Planning Commission abolished public comment should not affect you at all. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Is there any further public comment on Zoom? I don't see any. So uh, President Lopez, we would need a motion to adopt. The resolution. So moved. Oh. Okay, so we have a motion from President Lopez to adopt the resolution. On that motion, Commissioner Trezvina? Aye. Vice President Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. Commissioner Swig? Aye. Okay, that motion carries five to zero and the resolution is adopted. And that would conclude the hearing. Thanks, everybody. You did that much better.